0: Coming up on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman and special guest, Dr. Deanna Minnick, author of The Rainbow Diet. Learn about a diet like no other diet, how colors in our food and environment can shift our journeys towards optimal health of body, mind, and spirit. Join us for an inspirational moment coming up next here on YHTV. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today for The Rainbow Diet. I'm Christina Sousama, and with me is our wonderful co-host and medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wollman.
1: So I am Dr. Glenn Woolman. I will be your medical guide along with Christina today as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. And today we are going to be speaking with Dr. Deanna Minnick. She's an internationally recognized health expert. She's an author of many books, and we're going to be talking about her newest book, The Rainbow Diet. Maybe we'll talk about some of her other books. She's also a lecturer. Her training was in nutrition and metabolism, in mind-body health, and in functional medicine. But before we speak with uh, Dr. Minnick, Christina, how will people get in touch with us?
0: Oh, I'm so excited, Glenn. I love this topic.
1: Um, I know, it's your favorite.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Yes, uh, anytime during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Now, you can do that And even if uh, this is a a month out, a year out, um, and whatever your question is, we'll be sure to uh, send it over to our special guest or Dr. Woolman or myself, and we will definitely answer uh, whatever that is. Or you can also give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. And leave us a message and a contact information, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thank you so much, Glenn.
1: You're welcome. And on behalf of myself and Christina and all of Magical Medical Tour, we would like to welcome you, Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to our show.
0: Oh, good to <laughs> be here with both of you. What a delight. Hello, hello. Thank you so much hello. for joining us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's it's nice to be able to have this discussion with two people you know, and, and really go through a number of different things with the Rainbow Diet. So mm. I'm excited.
1: It's going to be great, and you just described kind of our path, except uh, as the medical guide, I usually like to suggest to our uh, global audience where we're going to go today. We're going to learn a little bit about you, a little bit about your training, and then we're going to get into, I don't know if I want to use the metaphor, the meat of the process, but uh, we're going to talk about all of the things <laughs> that you do, and uh Christina, stop laughing. I'm trying to be serious.
0: Somewhere over the rainbow. Oh. Yeah.
1: Are we going to break into song during this show?
0: As long as you promise to tap down. Maybe at the end. Okay. And Dr. Minnick promises to do some brush strokes. Oh, okay. ah,
2: yes.
1: That would be the so I health do like tip. to paint. Yes. So, Deanna, uh, the first thing we want to know is what brought you to the path that you're on? What got you into health and specifically into nutrition and metabolism?
2: I give all credit to my mother. If I think back to my upbringing and where things started to change, it was when I was about eight to nine years old when my mom went through this, I call it a food and faith revolution in her life. She really became a different person. She was pregnant with my brother at the time, and I think like most women who have a change in their bodies and who start to have children, she's began to wake up to health, nutrition, her body, what she was doing to this new life growing within her. So at that time, when I was eight or nine, it was the 1970s. And at that time, it was kind of bleeding edge rather than leading edge to be into nutrition, and in fact, you were considered a health nut if you were eating or reading anything from Adele Davis. Or I, I'd come home from school, and my mom is exercising to Richard Simmons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so my mom Not was Jane really Fine, radical. <laughs> <laughs> there
2: was all kinds of uh, different things for me. And as a preteen, of course, the, la- the last thing that you want to have happen is that you're perceived as different. So, I had a lot of restriction growing up. My dad was a Chicago police officer. I went to Catholic school. My mom was really into her faith, very restrictive in many different ways, not just food. And so, I think for me, what happened in my teen years is I went into this phase of really changing my relationship with food and my body. I became much more uh, inclined towards overeating, emotional eating, binge mm. eating. My body image was really distorted. This is where I began to develop endometriosis. At the time, I didn't wow. know it. Yeah, I mean, it just acne. I mean, all kinds of things, gut issues. But I really couldn't find a way out. And the last thing I wanted to resort to was something that my mom was advocating. That kind of I <laughs> felt kind of got me into this. <laughs> So, um, you know, it's funny, you know, now I can look back, my mom is uh, still living incredibly healthy. In fact, every time she goes to her doctor, he's asking her what she's doing and she's just on the right track. Her, her values come in great. Um, and so now we kind of laugh at it and I'm grateful to her. You know, I don't want this to be perceived as, you know, an emotionally negative experience. At the time, it was very tumultuous. It was tumultuous to be a teenager. And so I think that this was another added layer Catholic school, police officer dad, health nut mom. Wow. And I needed to somehow break out of this and figure out my life, my solutions, and you know, what, what I really believed. So here I am talking with you about nutrition.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Six
2: books later. <laughs>
1: Six books later, wow. yes. Yeah, amazing. And so, yeah, I was wondering, you know, as we were Preparing for the show, uh, a lot of times people go into something either because they have some kind of a traumatic event or they have a wisdom insight. And I was wondering which possibly was going to be yours. That's a great story. Uh, A Catholic family and a Chicago police officer.
0: I'd love to know what your mother thinks today with six books later.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mom and I are so on the same page. In fact, I mean, we talk like sisters now. And whenever I go back home and I, you know, she's got all of of her supplements. In fact, I just put on my Facebook page, I videotaped her doing her morning smoothie, which is pretty hardcore. I mean, it's like (laughs) cilantro and red uh, peppers. And uh, she likes more savory things than sweet. And so it was this big goopy mess of spicy greenness. You know, she's hard. She exercises every day. She's really, she's still extremely strong in her faith. And I think that that made a difference for her, especially because um, my brother is, uh, he passed away at the age of 29. He was in a car accident. Mm. So kind of the, the impetus for her even getting into health and nutrition, you know, it's just, I, I really love her path and how it's been created for her. And I'm different you know, I'm not a food and faith person. I would say I'm a science and spirituality girl. I'm um, I'm kind of a hybrid. My path is probably a little bit more expansive than hers, in, in terms of how I see nutrition, there are certain things that she just definitely won't do, whether it's with her eating or her beliefs. And I'm I'm probably not as restrictive in that way, and I feel like that's healthier for me. But mm-hmm. it works for mm-hmm. her. And we and we still we can we relate. We have a a great relationship, and I really admire her. And I I dedicated my first book to her. So my mom uh, started my path to answer your question, Glenn.
1: That was a good answer. I'm,
2: mom. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> it's all about the mom.
1: <laughs> I'm curious. Has she ever taken the inner rainbow spectrum quiz?
2: You know, that is a very interesting question. Um, you know, it reminds me of the quote. A prophet is never recognized in her homeland, and I right. kind of feel like even though my mom and I are really connected into nutrition, she has her way of seeing things. You know, she she kind of knew that I was coming out with a new book, but she really didn't know all the ins and outs of it. And I don't really talk about a lot of it with her. Um, but yeah, you know, I need to have her take that quiz. You're right,
1: exactly. And we'll talk about that right. in a little while. I'll tell you my results at some point.
2: Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. I'd like to know. <clears throat>
1: I was perfect on everything except the chocolate.
2: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not such a bad thing to not be perfect on, and you don't have to be perfect in anything, truly. No, so um, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I always say. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's talk about your training. You have a doctoral degree, so tell us the training that you have, and the the reason we always ask this is in case some young person or middle-aged or maybe even older person might be interested in becoming you or someone like you, and they're interested in what you have to go through to do that. So tell us about your training.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, and actually I do get that question fairly often, especially because I still teach, and so I get uh, students asking me. So just to continue on from my journey of when I was a a teenager, I went on to college and I was uh, studying biology. I, always, I was a science nerd. I was a very nerdy girl, sat in the front of the classrooms, raising my hand, really was into my study, like science. And so I studied biology. I thought I was going to go to medical school. I thought, you know, I am on the straight and narrow. I want to be a, a medical doctor. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I was really set on it. I also, however, was intrigued with other topics. So all of my electives had absorbed into a minor in English literature. Mm. So during the time I was writing poetry, I liked taking philosophy courses, I took world religions courses, I took a whole class on Protestantism, which was really interesting. You know, I was kind of eclectic. I kind of had these two worlds. And I would encourage other people to have many different expressions of who they are come through in their interests and always be reading diverse material and books and have different exposures because it gets you thinking differently about the the other things. And so I'd go to my botany class and then in the afternoon I might have to go to my Emily Dickinson class, <laughs> which is really great because I had this hybridization very early on of science and spirituality or science and art, science and literature that again, fueled why we're even talking about the rainbow diet and what happened from that point on. So I didn't end up going to medical school, as as you can probably gather. I ended up working for many different medical doctors. I volunteered in the, the neighborhood hospital. And by the time I was done with all of this volunteering, I felt like, I can't do this. I cannot. And I would sit in on the consultations with people, with the medical doctor and with the patients, And I was trying to vision my life out like, oh my goodness, can I be a physician in a hospital on call all the time doing this emergency medicine? Where's the connection to the patient in this deep way that I was longing for? So I decided kind of last minute to continue on to do a graduate degree, to do my master's degree in human nutrition and metabolism. I couldn't believe it, but I had Mm. this wake up of, maybe my mom was right. Maybe I want to be more on the preventive side of the continuum rather than on the pharmaceutical or the treatment side with something aggressive. That felt more like me. So I went to graduate school. I went there for three years, got my master's. Uh, I then went on for my PhD in nutrition, and that was four years. And then afterwards, I felt like I needed, okay, I need to get out of school. By this time, when I was done with all of my graduate school training, I was 29 years old. I was always working and doing different jobs, research jobs, research assistant, but never really, I mean, I really just wanted to get out there into the world. So I dove into working for a large food manufacturer did that for 3 years and then after that I went to work for a dietary supplement manufacturer and that was 10 years of my life and throughout this whole time I went to get clinical training because I realized you know I like this I want to start putting this into motion it has to go beyond research for me so I went and had training and I did a I became a certified nutrition specialist which people can do through the Board of Certified Nutrition Specialists, BCNS. This is a way that people with advanced degrees, at least a master's degree, can go and get certified for clinical training. So BCNS. And now I'm currently a supervisor for those CNS folks, which is kind of nice that I can give back in that way. And then I also went for training with the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is a many-year program of doing various educational modules and then taking a test, doing a case study. And so I did that. And I just recently, after I think it was the past couple of years, I became certified in functional medicine. So I am a researcher first, a clinician second. And I think that that's why I have such a research mind when I think about Nutrition, because I'm always thinking of root cause. Why does this person have this? What's happening in the body? What body systems are distorted? So, what I would say for people who want to do this kind of work, you know, there are many, many different (laughs) options. You know, you have to think of whenever anybody asks me, Deanna, how do I do this? I ask them, what do you want to do? Do you want to work with patients? Do you want to work in research? Do you want to work in education? Do you want to write books? Do you want to lecture? What do you want to do? Because all of those paths, will determine what you need. And and quite honestly, looking back, I'm really glad that I did the PhD route because it gives me a lot of freedom to do research if I want, do clinical work if I want. It's not just a straight uh, clinical designation where I'm connected to a clinical body. I kind of like having the freedom of doing more of the teaching side, and that's how I position myself. I'm an educator.
1: Clearly, (laughs) So, So in in listening to you, I'm immediately going off on a tangent off the track that I wanted to go on.
2: I I like tangents.
1: So, uh, would you give me just one quick definition of functional medicine?
2: Functional medicine is medicine that looks at the root cause of why people have... Their, whatever their health ailment that they have, and it's also very individualized to the patient. So there's okay. a heuristic, there's a certain operating system that functional medicine uses, and so it really drives that why? Why does this person have this? I think that's probably the best way to contextualize functional medicine.
1: Mm, nice. Okay, I think that's something we need to look at more at some point, but we have so much in the area of of your expertise, even though that's one of them. I want to uh, move back to nutrition again. in my in my experience, when I work with my clients and I work with my students, I always try and get people to understand that we're really cells. You know, we look at ourselves as having a personality and faces and physical descriptions, but we all come down to a cellular level, and I believe that the, the real way to understand nutrition is through understanding metabolism first, uh, and I would like you to give us a definition, a working definition of metabolism so that we can then move into other parts of, of our talk today
2: metabolism is the sum of how we build things up in the body and how we break things down so when we build things up we take in nutrients we digest we assimilate them and then we can break things down for energy that is metabolism and so i agree with you so much of who we are can be seen on the cellular level i also think that the microcosm of the cell can be seen through the macrocosm of the entire being. I think that there's room to be looking at physiology, psychology, looking at how people are living and what they're eating, and then bring it back into the minutia of mechanisms, cellular pathways, biochemistry. And I would even say to go one step even beyond the cell and into things that we can't see. And I'm just waiting for the whole field of energy medicine, subtle energy, and looking at protons, neutrons, atoms, really looking at the finer aspects of our being and being able to quantify that. I don't feel like we have good ways to do that, but my sense and even scientifically tells me that there's much more than even the cell. Like what informs the cell? What, a, what about a thought? What about an emotion? We can't see those things. They're only felt through chemical messengers, which then impact the cell. But what drives at that initial interface that creates that chain reaction? That's what I'm intrigued with.
1: Me too, and I'm looking for that also. A lot of, a lot of us in the fields of uh, integrative medicine or complementary medicine or what I call combinatorial medicine are all looking for that energy relationship. We kind of know it's there. We've studied a lot about it in many different uh, aspects, but we don't have the tools quite yet, but I think we're working on them. And that, that segues us beautifully into the next part of this. Thank you for that answer, by the way. <clears throat> I know that you've studied ancient healing and eating practices, so I'd like to know a little bit about how that came into your being, whether or not you were spiritual first. I know you talked about your mom's religious aspects and things like that, but I want to know about how you brought ancient healing and eating practices into nutrition and then connected to the science for us.
2: Wow, that's a great question. Probably one of my favorite ever because There are so many threads to healing, and I think that many of them get dismissed or not acknowledged, even though they've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So the the short answer to your question is it all started for me. I was not always, I would say, spiritual. I was always very logical, practical, scientific, nerdy, really into the academics of learning and getting good grades at school, probably because I didn't feel so content at home. So I needed another venue and I wasn't athletic. I wasn't gorgeous. You know, I I needed some way that I could really go into the depths of understanding life. So I did that through study. So I wasn't always spiritual, not in the sense that I am now. I think that that came when I was 19 and I can almost remember this moment. I decided to go to my first yoga class. And this was when when I went off to college. It was like freedom for me to get away from home, to be doing the things I wanted to do. I actually got to choose the courses I wanted to take, rather than be told you need to go to these classes and everything is very regimented. So for the heck of it, I went to a yoga class. I had never really known much about yoga, and I can remember everything about that class. Remember mm. the instructor. Remember the smell in the room. She had incense burning. And it was interesting to me because she was probably about 70 and not what I would think of with yoga, <laughs> you know, I just just a very different uh, vibe to the whole class. It was a lot of meditation. You know, we were sitting in silence. Uh, there wasn't a lot of movement. So that was what set me down this different course of, I've got to look into yoga. What is this? What is this tradition? And I started reading books. I started taking more classes. I started exploring. I started... At the time, we didn't have the internet. That's how old I am. So, you know, I was reading books from the library. I was exploring. And so one of the things that I stumbled across when I was looking into East Indian mystical traditions, and this even cropped up in my world religions courses that I was taking, I took a couple, is this whole idea of chakras. What are chakras? Well, if you take the word chakra in Sanskrit, means wheel, spinning wheel, And, well, what is this exactly? You know, you see all these pictures drawn in these ancient books of these seven centers of the body with, you know, just right down the the middle and these centers of lots of activity. And so I became intrigued because these centers were connected to colors, connected to themes, and it just spoke to me. And then as I was taking my science classes, I'm thinking these are endocrine glands. That's what these are. This is the, mm. the the adrenal glands. This is the ovaries and testes. This is just where a lot of the activity in the body is taking place. And the neuroendocrine system is a huge web. And so much of our activity, our physiological function, who we are psychologically because of hormones is connected into the neuroendocrine system. So then I started to translate what I was learning in these ancient traditions into my own science speak so that I could make sense of them because all of this was kind of new for me. And so that piqued my interest to start going into looking at traditional Chinese medicine. So now I want to hear what they have to say because at 20, I decided just for the heck of it, just to go for an acupuncture treatment Why not? I want to try it out. And in fact, I remember what the acupuncturist said to me. I just picked her out of the phone book, and Mm. I went to her for the treatment, and she says, I've never had somebody window shopping for acupuncture before. (laughs) So I was just curious. I was like, I'm free. I'm going to try all these different things. And I was getting massage. I was doing all these different modalities, and I started to piece it together, and I was loving it. I was seeing this as like a code, like a tapestry of... Wow, all these beautiful ancient healing, Tibetan medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Aboriginal medicine. I got introduced to uh, anthropology, looking at the lineage of cultural traditions around eating. And that was through the work of Angelus Arian. I studied with a shaman, uh, a Native American woman in the Seattle area, studied with her for a couple of years. Her name is Char Sundust. She became one of my teachers. I studied with a medical intuitive. You know, I was just, there was no holding me back from anything anymore. And I think that I needed that in order to have everything filter in so that I can sieve it down into what made sense. Because now I'm back to my practical Deanna mind of, okay, I get all of this. Now let me, let me just take in all of these colors, metaphorically, and how do I, how do I create some art here? and I think it wasn't until I started seeing patients at a clinic. So when I was working at the food manufacturer, I was very unhappy, and I started to work in a small practice with a psychiatrist and a chiropractor, and I was the nutritionist, and they had very different orientations to, <laughs> to patients. The chiropractor was um, very holistic in his, I mean, that was, again, like a new thing for me. The psychiatrist wasn't your traditional psychiatrist, very experimental and looked at life differently. And so I, I give credit to them too, for helping me to see clinical patterns in people that were beyond just the physical. And then that's when in the year 2000, I officially birthed what I call food and spirit and food and spirit is that seven systems of health looking at And, you know, I found a lot of work on chakras in the spiritual literature, but not so much in the medical literature. So then I was Mm -hmm. thinking, I need to somehow create a bridge because these chakras are good, but they're not fully fleshed out in the way that I'm seeing them. And I'm also seeing in people that I was seeing in this clinic So that's why, you know, the the starting seed of food and spirit, I would say, is a lot of my exploration into these different areas, using the chakras as the initial template, but then really going beyond that, really starting to flesh that out with food, looking at lifestyle, looking at psychology, I mean really going deep rather than just saying, well, this is the name of this chakra and it is responsible for this and it has this color. It's like, no, this, there's something more here. And I, again, I started to see it more empirically and I started to see patterns with people.
1: Interesting. And you can see so much of that in, in your book on the uh, the rainbow diet with the symbolic role of the endocrine glands and the chakras and the colors in your diet and the colors of the foods, all the correspondences and correlations. Uh, so it's, it's all coming together for me and understanding you a little bit better. Do you have your own personal ritual that you do before you eat a meal? You know, some people have a prayer before a meal. Some people do this. Uh um, And also including taking medications or supplements and things like that. Do you have a personal ritual that you do?
2: Mm, I love the idea of ritual. It brings me back to my Catholic roots. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I do think rituals are important. They help to anchor us into our daily life. One of the things that I've moved away from is having too much rigidity in my daily routine. So while I honor certain rituals oftentimes I don't bring them in in the same regularity that I would have years ago because what I'm looking at in my life now is being more with the flow. Like, who am I today? Like, what do I want to work on? I have a general sense like the night before, but I really move through it. And I don't even know what I'm going to eat the next day, the next morning. I check in with my body. So I would say my ritual is being de-ritualized to my own creative flow. Where Mm. am I? And I really have embraced that much more in the coming years, in in these past years, because I used to be just incredibly structured. I had to be structured. I was in school, I had rigorous uh, schedules and routines and assignments, and I had to work full time, you know, just, and now I'm not in that place. And I want to be more open to flow. But I will tell you that one thing I try to do at meals, when I'm sitting down with my husband or if I'm sitting with a group, (laughs) and I need to send you a deck of these. I use the nourish your whole self card deck that I developed Mm. in 2013. Mm. Yeah. I was kind of feeling like, okay, you know what? I write a lot of books and it's good to have a lot of this information and head knowledge. And I try to make it very practical, but I really want something very practical in the hands of people. I want something tactile. And so I created this deck of 56 cards with some help from a team. And essentially what we have is seven cards for each of the the seven colors. And so you pick a card and there's some message there. So if I'm not using that card deck, I have other card decks that I like just to use as kind of the theme. And if I don't have a card deck with me and I'm traveling and I'm with friends, what I will say is, what is your intention for this meal? What is your one word? I like very simple. I don't like to get complicated and have a long Dissertation before we eat. It's like <laughs> one word. What is your one word?
1: <laughs> Hungry. So my husband and
2: I do that a lot. Yeah. Right. And uh, let me comment on supplements because you did ask about that, and I think it's relevant. I have a cabinet filled with a variety, probably fifty to sixty supplement containers of various types. Whether it's, I have oils, I have powders, I have tablets, I have capsules, gels, you name it. I. The way that I use supplements is in a very intuitive way. You know, I try not to take the same thing too regularly so that my body can really see the signal of that supplement, of that distilled nutrient. I think what ends up happening is people get into these routines and Mm -hmm. then they may stop this supplement and then it's like, well, all of a sudden they need more. They need to get back on it because their body got used to it. You know, I think of the work of Linus Pauling with vitamin C. And if you take large amounts of vitamin C over time, and I'm talking gram levels, like really high amounts, and you take them over time and then you stop, you can actually provoke and create symptoms of deficiency or even insufficiency. So I think it goes back to my resist authority, kind of rebel roots of I don't want to have to rely on anything too much. I want to be free. I want to be free of like, I I mean, even me wearing glasses, I don't even like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I try to shake it up as much as possible. I think people get into ruts. I think they rely a lot on the outside for information and not enough on the inside of how do I feel today? Within the structure that I have, how can I bring in the sense of creativity and flow and You know, Glenn, I didn't even speak to kind of how I got into this whole painting thing, but it was part of my healing process, and it is something that I feel is neglected in the therapeutic encounter, that we don't regard creativity as a healing force, and it is. We need to be creative about our lives. We need to have the potential to explore. We need those possibilities. They give us hope. They give us joy. They give us passion.
1: There's so many similarities Uh, that I'm relating to as you're speaking. When I got injured once in a bad motorcycle accident, uh, I decided to start drawing and painting as part of my own creative healing process. That was great. Uh, I also am recognizing the endocrine system is a perfect example of supplements and everything. If the body gets too much of one uh, endocrine Uh, drug, for example, if somebody starts taking thyroid medication, their thyroid eventually will shut down. So it's Mm -hmm. important, and I Mm -hmm. I think you brought up a great point of, now certainly with medication different than supplements, we have to be careful about that, but the body will have a tendency in its own feedback mechanisms to say I don't need to put this out because it's already out there. So Mm -hmm. it will start Mm -hmm. to do that, and I I like that you brought that up. I want to start talking a little bit about the uh, the Rainbow Diet. So the, the first thing when I heard the Rainbow Diet, I, I thought, wow, M&Ms and gummy bears, they would probably <laughs> be perfect in the Rainbow Diet. So is that correct?
2: Oh, I get that tongue-in-cheek remark all
1: the time. Or Skittles, oh, no. let's add Skittles to the mix, right? <laughs> oh, no, I thought um, I was original yeah, there. no, oh,
2: goodness, it, it's, it's nice. I like the joke because it's true. You know, when we think of colorful food, Unfortunately, our society has relegated that to colorful candies. And why is candy so colorful? Because it draws people in. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. tantalizing to look at that array of rainbow colors. I mean, humans are so... Our biology is wired into colors and signals in the environment that come through colors themselves in nature, whether it's the color of a tree, the color of the sky. I mean, goodness. I mean, we are... For, for those who can see color, the majority of people who can, it's such an important aspect. And even for the people who cannot see color, I had a, a grandmother who was blind. She went blind later in life. These people can, I've been told, that they can even feel or sense different colors. You know, So I, I just think color is a unifying force. And it's pervasive in society, and it has associations in society as well. So when we think of the rainbow diets, Uh, One of the things that I talk about is truly the the rainbow of foods, you know, the very common phrase of eat a rainbow is Mm -hmm. what I think is very unifying to most people, because if you look at all the diets out there. There's, there are kind of these tribes that form with diets. So you've got the paleo people here. You've got the keto people are there. You've got the vegans or vegetarians here. You've got people with health conditions following certain therapeutic diets in their, their, um, their own core or hub. And I kind of feel like in the 21st century, I'd like to see more unification because in my tenure of being in the nutrition field, I've only seen division. I've only seen arm wrestling. I've only seen tug of wars. And it's all about macronutrients, like who's right, or it's all about what is the source of the protein that you're eating. You know, that defines you. So what I felt with the rainbow diet is it has a large expansive, more of a spiritual meaning of unification at the level of plants and the different pigments and phytonutrients that these plants bring in. And that's something all of us can share. And it doesn't matter if you're keto, paleo, vegan, or whatever, all of us to some degree, are eating plants. We may not be eating the same plants, maybe not the same amount, but we can share in colorful plants. So when we hear that phrase, food is medicine, I'd like to add a little bit more to that statement. I believe it's colorful, whole, plant-based foods are medicine. They're healing. In fact, I don't even like that word medicine. Let's just say that they're healing. And not Mm -hmm. only are they healing us, at the body level, because of, back to your comment about cells, they're getting at all these different biochemical pathways, things like uh, infl- inflammation, insulin signaling, stress response. When we look at the, the, the level of the cell and what these things are doing, the, the complexity, the beauty of how they interact with the cell is in a pleiotropic way. They're doing many different things simultaneously, and they're modulating. They're not shutting things off. They're adaptogenic. They are not stimulating, and they're not inhibiting They are balancing. That's the beauty of plants. So that's the more nutritional message of the book. The psychological or lifestyle message of the book is if you eat a rainbow and you eat that variety, and if you connect into food and your relationship with food changes to be one that's more holistic and more engaging, then you're going to start living a colorful life you will honor that rainbow within you, which we could say is the seven systems, or it's just living colorfully. What does it mean to live colorfully? Well, it's somebody who's creative, curious, has a great sense of well-being, they're vibrant. You know, my husband is an acupuncturist, and so sometimes I'll dip into some of his books. Like, it's so fascinating to me how we're so ready to define disease and disease states and give them ICD-10 codes, but what is optimal health? What is an optimal lab value rather than a dysfunctional one? We just have... You know, there's no sense of vibrancy or radiance, and so when I look at some of the ancient texts and I look at his TCM books, I see that they define optimal health with the glitter in the eye, the 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 glowing of the skin, the fullness of hair, the ability to be mobile and not have pain, and so it's almost like we have to visualize what is a colorful life for us. Is it wearing more colorful clothing? Is it living in a colorful space? You know, I've had various people follow this program and their lives change in ways that I could not have anticipated. I remember having a woman describe how after engaging in I have a 21-day program where I focus on color and after she did it, she changed her living room. She said it was too gray for <laughs> her. She never realized how gray it was. I had another woman who was working in a cubicle at work for a company And she realized, again, how gray and dismal it was, and she showed pictures of what she did within that space. She completely dressed it up with color, and it made her working experience different. I've had people, uh, when they don't like to cook, they don't like to be in their kitchens. I I had one patient who I asked her, I said, so what's your favorite color? And in fact, that's usually my my first question to people, is what's your favorite color, at least in this moment, because that could change. And I remember her telling me very quickly, sage green. And I said, okay, I like that color too. That would be great in your kitchen. What if you painted your kitchen sage green? Three weeks later, she comes back to see me. She's painted her kitchen sage green. She's loving her life. It's almost like she's a new person. Like she was very down, very um, depressed when she saw me that first time. And then after that three weeks, it's almost like, you know, she just had this this uptick. And I don't know if that was from the color. I don't know. But it's just interesting how we can make some subtle shifts in our lives with color and see a dramatic effect. And so that's what the rainbow diet is about. It's redefining our lives. It's not the traditional kind of diet book where it's telling you eat this, not that, do this, not that. I don't want that kind of relationship with my readers. I want to engage them. I want them to be free Much like I value my own freedom, my intellectual freedom, my emotional freedom, my mental freedom, I want them to be free in their relationship with their bodies, with their emotions, with their food, with how they eat. So I pose questions. I I give them foods connecting into the different body systems. And then if they want to go further into dietary supplements, I wanted to bring that in there too. And I do think it's best for people when they get into supplements to work with a practitioner because they can help people to make better sense of, of what's going on. I mean, even me, oftentimes, I'll, I'll ask and, and just find out, like, what are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? And, and so there, there is another level of sophistication when it comes to supplements. And the book is very, you know, very high level in terms of giving guidance on certain things around supplements. So that's what I do is I, I use the conduits of food, nutrition, supplements to help people live a more colorful life.
1: That was a beautiful answer, the whole answer. I need to go back and listen to that many more times. You gave so much wisdom on many levels. And that's one of the things I like about your book. And I think you did hit the mark with that. When I look at all of the diets out there, and as you beautifully said, it's mainly arm wrestling with this diet versus that diet and one or the other. And when I was looking at your book, I didn't get that sense. It was more like tune into yourself. and. Mm -hmm. find where you are and then use this as a guide and, and improve with that. I really like that a lot. So congratulations on this book.
2: Wow. Uh, I'm grateful you got that message, Glenn, because um, again, I don't want to be a top down kind of like, this is how it has to be done. I'm just there for, you know, the, the providing the information and hopefully more of the inspiration.
1: And speaking of inspiration, when you work with people that uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there are a lot of people that come to you because they have issues. They're not all perfect or optimal. A lot of people come with issues, and many of these issues are based on nutrition. And so you're going to try and get them to uh, potentially or essentially change behavior. How do you do that? What's your process in helping people to change their behavior?
2: I let them choose. Uh, I think that choice and locus of control is a big factor. Early in my career, when I didn't really know about human behavior, (laughs) one of the (laughs) things I would do is I was almost like the, the, the merging of my mom and my dad. I became the nutrition police. And I would tell people, You know, you need to do it this way, and here's my plan for you. I would write it all out very diligently. I'd give them all these recipes and this menu to follow and do it like this, and I'll see you back in two weeks. And I realized that some people like that. Some people like a little bit more of that structure and hand-holding. But you know what? It didn't sustain. It wasn't like a long-term thing. I'd see them maybe years later, and they had fallen back. And so what I have moved towards in my clinical work is – coming from the place of trying to understand where they're at, what, how can I best help them? And so one of the questions that I'll ask somebody very early on is, how important is your health? And I'll give them a scale between one and 10. And I'll say, just tell me honestly, you know, I'm a very brutal, honest person in my way with compassion. And so I'll say, just, just tell me the truth. You know, 10 is absolutely, I'll do anything to be healthy. And one is, I don't care about health. And you'd be surprised when people are really answering honestly and they give some reflection to that. They're not all answering 10. And when they don't answer 10, what I start doing is I look for what has meaning and purpose in their lives. Actually, what gives them that spiritual sense of living and why they go through their motions and their, what's most important for some of uh, the women that I work with, it's their children. Uh, some of the men, uh, sometimes it's Work. They're passionate about that, and they don't want anything to stand in the way. I had one patient who, he was a musician, and so for him, it was his music that was most important. That was the 10, not his health. His health was a 7. So based on that, I give them choice, and I really make it very simple. I do a lot of listening. I try to understand their story, and I like to just have small things that people can do to have greater impact it's almost like I liken it to the snail or the grasshopper. Sometimes we can have a big grasshopper change, where you know we're inspired, we're in that place of being very motivated. We make a change, maybe we join a gym or we um, we, we sign up for a class or you know whatever it is. That doesn't always happen with great regularity and with great sustainability. So usually, what I focus on is the snail. What is something that? you can do in your everyday, back to what you were asking me about ritual, what is one little thing that you can do every day, even if it is having more variety? Like for me, my thing now is variety and flow and creativity. And so that has become my ritual. What is most important? What is practical? And how do we anchor that into your everyday life? So, you know, it's kind of funny, but sometimes I'll give very basic advice, but people will have pronounced effects in the, in the longer term, because they feel more empowered. And I'll give you a quick example. Th- this actually stuck, sticks in my mind. It happened years ago. Um, I was working with the physician at the clinic, and I remember we wanted to get this patient to exercise. And I know for me, even using that word exercise, kind of like, ugh, I like physical activity or movement or something else, but I'm not a huge fan of exercise either. But we told this patient, we just want you to do four jumping jacks a day. Can you do that? And he said, yeah, you know, I can do four jumping jacks. He's kind of looking at us with a quizzical look. So in three weeks, he comes back and we ask him and he's, he's looking good. And he says, yeah, you know, that four jumping jacks a day was ridiculous. I ended up doing 50. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good about it. You know, he was happy and that's where we want to be is we want to be empowered. We want to feel like, yes, time to celebrate. And that leads us into the next catapult of change. I think when I have worked with a number of women with eating disorders, what propels cyclic uh, dysfunction with food and eating is guilt. When we feel bad about something, when we feel like we're not free, like, oh my gosh, I just did that again. And then we just go and have another binge and another, um, you know, just emotional eating episode. So when we can liberate ourselves to move into this place of feeling like, wow, I did it. I feel confident now, I feel really like I've got a good sense of self-esteem, I know I can do this, I I did their four jumping jack allotment, and, uh, you know, I did over that, so then you don't feel like a failure, and I think that that mental disposition takes people into the next level of change.
1: Yeah, excellent. One of the problems I have in terms of giving people choice is usually they've had choices before, and that's what brings them to this issue. But I like the way that you work with them with that. I know that you teach uh, physicians about nutrition, correct?
2: I do. I have for the the past 10 years or so, yes.
1: So my question is a two-part question. What's the biggest pushback from physicians, and what's also the most embraced aspect of what you teach them?
2: The most pushed back is probably what you alluded to, that it's easier to just give them a prescription. It takes a lot of time to sit there and coach somebody on how they eat without really having a sense that nutrition is as impactful as it truly is. So it's a time factor for physicians. They kind of feel like, yeah, I get it. I like it. But you know what? It just doesn't fit within the insurance model. I can't do that in eight minutes. So that's their challenge. So in which case, I I mentioned that, you know, you need a team, you need a coach, you need a health coach, you need a nutritionist there, you need other people to support you with your recommendations to the patient and to do a bit more of the hand-holding. So I think that that is um, essential. What do they most embrace? You know, I, I do think that Because I work within functional medicine and I'm starting to see more and more physicians, and I just know this because of the Institute for Functional Medicine and and their demographic and how that organization is growing, they are really looking for solutions. I feel like in their heart of hearts, why did they go into medicine? Many of them went into medicine because of what you said before. They had a personal shift or crisis. They witnessed something in their family with suffering they really wanted to, to help people. And so I think what is most embraced is the fact that people need to eat. And so this is one change that people can make. That's kind of what I would call a low hanging fruit change. It's something that has to happen anyway. So if we start making changes, we can lead to uh, really phenomenal, significant impacts in these people's lives. And I think that they see that it's just that they don't know how, how do you get them there? And yet still be part of the medical system because our medical system at least in the United States doesn't support this and hopefully this will change
1: I think it is I think we're seeing a lot of people you know, a lot of people that we interview on this show we're seeing that change wouldn't you agree Christina
0: oh absolutely I, I think people are looking for change it's it's been like a paradigm shift in the past decade. I feel that uh, people are just reaching out there and finding the different ways and it's really lovely to be part of that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Diana, yeah Diana, I have uh, a number of questions that I'd like to answer you in rapid sequence uh, ask you in rapid sequence and have you just give a, a very quick answer quick. on these parts? <laughs> yeah
2: let's do it. Yeah what's I'm the
1: ready. youngest what's the youngest age you would like to teach someone about nutrition? Three. Three. I love that. (laughs) That's so good. They can talk.
2: They understand. I'm saying that because I have a niece who's three and I'm already teaching her about the rainbow smoothies and just focusing on color. I don't want to teach them nutrition. I want to teach them about colors of foods.
1: Beautiful. Okay. Cancer diets.
2: Fruits and vegetables. Lots of color. Good literature on colorful foods for cancer and different cancers connecting into different types of foods within those categories.
1: Essential. Go ahead. That's it. Probiotics.
2: Take them. All the time? (laughs) No, that's a different question. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, What I think is good, I mean, first of all, they're pretty darn safe. I mean, there are studies, even in children, showing that they have a high degree of safety. My basic premise with probiotics is multi-strain, rotation, and supporting the growth and sustainability of those probiotic organisms with prebiotics. So really and truly we're looking at what would be called a symbiotic approach, the synergy mm. of pre and probiotics. So there's a smart way to do probiotics. We need yeah, I less agree. Of them if we sustain them through fibers.
1: I mm. totally agree with that. Sometimes I look at probiotics like they should be used like antibiotics, just like what we talked about before. Uh, if your body is producing the bacteria. Um yeah. And it's working perfectly. You don't really need it Uh, at certain times you do. And you could take too much, just like you said before, alluded to too much vitamin C could cause a problem. I see the same thing. Okay, detox.
2: Do it. And uh, there there are many different ways to do a detox. One of the ways that I would do this is with food primarily and really looking at your lifestyle I wrote a whole book on this called whole detox so I feel pretty right. strongly about the toxins in our environment
1: yes I I noticed that my my thinking about detox is that uh, I think it's it's just like plumbing if you have uh, hard water in your area it's good to clean it out every once in a while but I also look at it from a medical point of view if you're going to detox and then go back to the same, things that you did before that required the detox, I think you need to look at it differently.
2: Absolutely. And let me just mention, Glenn, that I do think that it's one of the things for people to start looking at when things don't improve. So they tried all the food things, they tried all the supplement things, they shifted some things in their lives and they don't know what else to do. In fact, I was just on the phone yesterday with somebody talking about this. I said, you need to go and get your toxic metals looked at. A lot Mm -hmm. of the symptoms that people have, I mean, all these different toxins... Span every single condition. It's almost like if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It's kind of like that when you start looking at toxins. You start realizing how they're implicated in just about every disease and how many physicians and other practitioners think to look at toxins. Mm -hmm. They don't. Mm -hmm. And and so this is part of like the root cause. Well, maybe it's because you're exposed to mold in your home, or maybe it's because you're getting mercury in those amalgams, and that's causing your tremors. It's not because you don't have enough B12. It's because you don't have enough uh, of your detox capacity to deal with this mercury burden. So Mm -hmm. I do think Mm -hmm. it's a big deal, and it's gaining traction, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. because we continue to be more and more toxic on our planet, plastics and otherwise.
1: Okay. Beautiful. Certified Food and Spirit Practitioner Program.
2: Uh-huh. This is a program that I offer to practitioners to help them understand how to use food and spirit clinically. So it's really, you know, and I have found that there are so many programs out there. They're almost a dime a dozen, but not many people teach how to weave together physiology and psychology through the interface of food and lifestyle. And I, that's what I do. That's what that program is.
1: How do people find out about that program?
2: They go to the website foodandspirit.com, and it explains the whole program. We're running the next one in June of 2018. It's a 12-week online program. So it's for an international audience. It can be done at your convenience. A lot of these people are very busy practitioners, so they can do this and engage as much as they would like to and, and still complete the program just with, like, three to five hours per week of investment in their time.
1: Nice. Deanna, in preparing for this program, and I know you talk a lot in other programs and in other podcasts and lectures everywhere, is there anything uh, that is on your mind that you really want to get out to our audience that we haven't touched on yet?
2: So let's go back to color. I want to leave with three things. Uh, three things. Three is the number of creativity, so I, I want to distill uh, into some practical nuggets here. First and foremost, I would say focus on color, color of foods, colors of your home, your living space, uh, the, the colors that you surround yourself with, all of those things. Focus on color and see how that connects into how you feel. Uh, number two, I would also encourage getting out of eating ruts. I think that we're in a lot of food ruts and I'd like for people to shake them up. You know, I get people coming to me saying, "Deanna, I've had oatmeal every year of my life, and now I'm 70 years old. I thought oatmeal was a good thing." And so, I want people to get variety. I want you to get variety within colors, not just the 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 color um, purple, but lavender, blue purple, indigo. You know, really go into the different colors of food and different types of food. And thirdly. I I usually give this activity when I'm doing a group, and I call it the energy inventory activity. It's in the Rainbow Diet Book, actually. What I'd like people to do is to make a list. You take a piece of paper, you draw a line down the middle. On the left side, you put a plus at the top. On the right side, you put a minus. And I want people to write down all the things that give them energy that really fuel their soul, that really give them that sense of the joie de vie, the, the the life force that they're looking for with health and healing. want them to write down all the things that give them that on the left side in that column. And then I want them to write down all the things that take away their energy in the right column. So maybe it's toxic job. Maybe it's a long commute. Maybe it's having kids yelling at you. Maybe it's dealing with in-laws, whatever it is, I want you to make that list. And I want you just to look at it. I want you to be clear about it and in as much as you can to see where you can make one small, subtle shift. Either you can increase on the plus side or to reduce on the the minus side. So again, keeping in mind that it just takes a small change, but unless we do an inventory of our lives and kind of see where we're netting out, we don't know really where that, that change would be. Alternately, you can also do the spectrum quiz, and you can figure out your colors there. So hopefully mm. those are some, some tools for people to get started.
1: Well, that was great. Now the question I have is, uh, do you have a health tip for us, or was that your three health tips?
2: So here's a, um, a general health tip. Th- those are health tips, and I, I would also say, um, you know, one thing that I didn't talk about enough, I feel, is creativity. Um, I, when I had endometriosis, it continued to get worse, even though I was eating well. And the thing that really helped me was to engage in painting. I painted really wild, colorful, vivid paintings that I couldn't explain. And my life just became very different when I was doing these paintings. And so what I would encourage people to do is to focus on how do they get more creativity in their lives and they don't have to become a painter uh, they can do they can just be listening to to music all the studies on music and sound and how that changes our health and how that changes our brain patterns engage in that we are all artists and I want people to recognize the value of being creative in their lives thinking differently about something maybe you want to engage in some different craft Maybe it's uh, being around children. Children are always so creative and they, <laughs> they give you the unexpected. And so doing something creative with them, whatever it is, maybe it's taking a different way to work in the morning, in your car, or maybe you walk down a different block in your neighborhood that you haven't explored before. All I want people to do for the sake of really having that life force in their brain, their heart, and their gut, what the literature shows us is that we need flexibility and one of the ways that I think we get that is by being creative. So shake it up, don't be so rigid, and really connect into what gives you that sense of joy.
1: Beautiful. Well said. Christina, do you have any thoughts?
0: Oh, I always have so many thoughts, but I love this idea of the rainbow. Uh, it's, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I'm right with it, uh, Deanna. I love it. Um, you know, and what was really interesting is you were sharing about colorful foods. Uh, over a decade ago, I had uh, a Japanese mother. Uh, she was from Japan. She was visiting. And she was watching me cook or we were eating together. And she was saying, you know what What the route to a healthy eating is? And I said, no, what is it? Right. And she said, she said everything of a different color on your plate. Oh my goodness. And Woo-hoo. this was over a decade ago and she couldn't speak English, so part of it was translated. And I said, "Really?" and she says, "Yes. Uh, her grandmother taught her that if everything on their plate when they're eating is of a different color, that is when you will have a balanced diet." <gasps> I love it. Is that and, and so I it just came that. to me yeah. as you were you were sharing mm-hmm. and I thought, "Oh my gosh, it's just all Integrated together is so beautiful.
2: And you know, even as an adjunct to that, ancient healing traditions talk about the colors, they talk mm-hmm. about tastes. And when I was in Nepal, on holiday, just visiting there, I noticed that I would get plates with all these little cups and all of them would have different colored sauces and oh. foods. And one was savory, one was sweet, one was bitter, one was, um, you know, kind of an amalgam of different things. It just felt like a palette, like an mm. artist's palette to me. So what I think you're speaking of is what we know in ancient traditions. And I really feel like That's such a a great gateway into health and healing that doesn't require a lot of effort is simply to fall in love with the colors of our food and maybe not for their nutritional properties, but because it's art, because it's really gorgeous and, and pretty. And maybe we need more artistry and creativity in our lives. And that can come through the vehicle of food, which we have to interface with several times a day anyway.
0: Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I totally agree with you about environment and the color of the environment. I think it makes such a huge difference. Um, I recently painted my, it used to be gray. My house was gray and I had to come home to this gray home and it was just daunting. And finally it was like, okay, I'm, I'm painting the house. Now it's like blues, two blues, three levels of gray. <laughs> It shook up the Beautiful. whole neighborhood, you know, and everyone was saying. And I said, "No, I come home every day, and I am so happy." And neighbors walk by, and they're so happy. And we have even construction workers that have stopped the car to go. We love the color of the house. <laughs> it, makes, it brightens our day, and it's. It was. It was like, yeah. It's. It's so amazing how colors affect us as people, and we don't realize that instead we allow as you say structures to dictate so much of our lives structures society you know religion yeah. it dictates so much of our life and 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 yeah i'm right with you i live on the wild side <laughs>
2: <laughs> go with your flow and and let it go. That, that's such a great, I'm so glad that you painted your house. That's a, that's a great idea. And for people that can't paint their whole house, even if you have a room, a wall, you know, just oh, yes. have some, or maybe even just, you go to the store and you buy a canvas,
0: Absolutely. you know, and,
2: um, I even use that as a metaphor for the body. And I say that our jeans are like a canvas. Some of us get slates that are really big. Maybe they're rectangular, maybe they're triangular, maybe they're circular. We all get our genes, and then Mm -hmm. our choices become the paint and the design on that canvas, and we can constantly change that picture. It's never too late. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It's just paint. That's right. Right? And it affects, I believe it affects us to the core, to the cellular level. And so I love your rainbow diet, and and we will definitely love to see it in more people's hands and and promote it for you, because it's, uh, I I think you've latched on to something that is uh, is very old but is very new in this society. Mm. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you.
1: And I too am grateful to our very special guest, Dr. Deanna Minnick, uh, for sharing her wisdom and experience and expertise with us. I'd also want to thank my teachers and my healers for keeping me on my journey. Look forward to getting together again on Magical Medical Tour with Christina and Segovia and our next guest, And as we explore other quadrants of the healthcare galaxy, we're always searching for optimal health. And I wish you all optimal health. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Deanna.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And um, health and healing to all of your listeners. I wish you a colorful life. (laughs)
0: <laughs> beautiful <I love> it. <laughs> thank you so much diana for gifting us on our, our global community with your expertise and dr glenn woolman for another great show i would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and inf- information we're grateful for your continuous support and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwollman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath, or follow him and his Facebook, The Medical Guide. You can connect with Dr. Deanna Minnick through her website, deannaminnick.com. And uh, when you go there, you you will be connected to all her wonderful programs, and of course you will be able to see it on our website as well. We will have her listings of all her social media and her programs. We hope that you have enjoyed this moment on TV, and it has supported you or a loved one in some way. And we invite you to take a moment to like us or subscribe to our YouTube channel, and This will really help broaden our messages uh, globally to everyone out there um, who is just needing some support, as I do believe we all are. Let's bring some color into everyone's lives. (laughs) Of course, we are grateful for any feedback or comments and suggestions. Leave it uh, in the comment box or just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste.